either one of these any good? Wow, this is a good movie. It's pretty good. Yeah, well, the director from yesterday doesn't think so. It stinks. You sorry? You waste all our film. <laughs> it's so bad. Okay, we're into June now, the heart of the summer movie season. Hard to believe the year's almost half over. Pretty soon we got to start putting together our list of the best so far right, uh, in movies for 2019. But before we do that, we got to check out what's good this week. Uh, and welcome. This is the Screening Room Podcast. She is Hope Madden. He's George Wolf. And we are from MadWolf.com. We'll start off with the new Men in Black. They've always protected the Earth from the scum of the universe. But in this new adventure, they tackle their biggest threat to date, a mole in the MIB organization. It's Men in Black International. We are a rumor. Time to prove yourself, Agent M. We may have a problem in London. Welcome to MIB. Move it, I'll lose it! You will be with Agent H, one of the best ever to wear this suit. Catching up on my daily meditation. Time for lunch, I think. Are you hungry? It's 9.30. Perfect. Tuesday's taco day. There's a mole! Whack it! <laughs> Well, you know what? That might be more fun than a lot of this movie. <laughs> Actually, that's that's a little harsh, I suppose. There's, it's funny because there's nothing really horrible about this movie, no, but not at the at same all. time, it feels like to to use a really trite phrase, it feels like an empty suit. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. I mean, it's uh, you know, it looks good. It's gizmorific. The two new leads are charming and fun and funny. I just think that it doesn't feel inspired at all. The writing is a bit bland, and the direction is kind of listless. Yeah, the two new leads are Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, and of course, they've already shown that they have chemistry in in Thor Ragnarok. Right. And then, if you've seen any of the the behind the scenes, the outtake stuff from um, Avengers movies, they they get along great. They do. Yeah, and that, and that comes through. There's no problem there. Both of them are really good and uh, I'm not going to fault them for this movie. No. And it's just it's it's weird. It's like if you just take it apart the individual parts, you can find some good things. The yeah. two of them Emma the, Thompson. Yeah. Oh, Emma Thompson. And, Come on. And yeah. We'll talk about her a little bit later. Right. Kamel Nanjani uh, is the voice of this episode's little alien friend. Pawnee. Pawnee. Yeah. And he's very funny. He gets some good lines. Liam Neeson. And yep. Yep. He's the head of it, uh, the uh, international organization this time. And some of it looks good. Mm -hmm. You know, you're yeah. just going along, but it never really, really grabs you. I no. mean, the... Uh, the fact that there's a mole and that whole business and who's it going to be, and I think it's pretty easy to figure out who it's, who it's going to be uh, early, early on, yeah. but that's fine. And some of the gizmos, like you mentioned, are, are cool looking, but uh, at the same time, it just never, you always are sort of waiting for it to pick up and really go somewhere and, and be exciting and pull you in, yeah. and it never really does. No, you know, it's, it's too bad because it starts off pretty well. Tessa Thompson, you know, you flash back to her childhood, and she sees... The men in black show up at her house and do the uh, the look at this light, let me vanish your, your memory trick, on her parents, but they don't know she's around, so she still remembers the alien, so she spends her whole life trying to figure out who they are and mm -hmm. how to get in. So when she finally does figure it out and she's, you know, trying to bluff her way in, and then there's this interview section with Tessa Thompson and Emma Thompson, no relation as far as I know. Yeah. But the two of them, first of all, glorious no matter what. And it's a really fun sequence. And I think that Tessa Thompson gets a lot of opportunity to sort of be a geek and be excited. And I, then after the after that scene, never yeah, again. I kind of like that whole backstory. I yeah. think that's a cool th thing to... Uh, 
to give to her character, as she says, uh, as Tessa Thompson says to Emma, I found you. That's right. You know, doesn't that qualify me? And that's cool. You yeah. know, I do. I like that part of it. And it seems a little inspired, brings something new to it. But after that, yeah, she she's Tessa Thompson's character is a very excited, like you said, very geek to be part of this. She's been working her whole life. But then once they get into it, yeah, it, it becomes back and forth between it's it's a little bit funny. Yeah, it's uh, and got then, some funny moments. Yeah, um, but it never really gets you invested Mm-mm. in the in the action or in the story. I will say, I come to it from I was never I've never been a fan of this whole series. Right. Not that I hated it. No, I just didn't really understand the the massive popularity. I thought, oh, okay, it's all right. I uh, didn't really love it, but um, and this one I don't hate either. They, they all for me just kind of sit there. Yeah. The director is F. Gary Gray, who has has done some some mediocre stuff, but he also did Straight, Straight Out of Compton. Compton a few years ago, yeah. and that was that that was a definitely a solid a high film. watermark for him for high sure. High watermark. So he gets the keys to this multi million dollar franchise, and it certainly has all the it it looks. Like a blockbuster. It does. You know, it, it kind of smells like a blockbuster, but it, it just does it. And, and who to... knows? It may deliver the money of right. a blockbuster, right. too. I don't know. But it, you never really walk away from it feeling like, boy, that was fun. Yeah, no, you really don't. It's not It's not that much fun. It's kind of a it's, it's kind of a time waster is really what it is. And it should have been more than that because I think, you know, the storyline is a little bit convoluted and dumb. But I don't think that the storyline of... Is, is ever really necessarily the point of the Men in Black films. It's mm-hmm. really the, the camaraderie and the chemistry between the two leads, yeah. this sort of fish-out-of-water, odd-couple situation. And I think that they cast wisely, but I just don't think they gave Chris Hemsworth or Tessa Thompson enough to do. Yeah, it, it just doesn't really take any... Other than that early part that we already talked about, uh, that uh, nice little backstory of Tessa Thompson's character, it doesn't seem to really have ambitions to be anything more than just kind of keeping the keeping the fire warm yeah. maybe for the next one i don't yeah. know but it's never never really feels very inspired so didn't didn't really get bowled over by men in black international Let's keep the Emma Thompson thread rolling for the story of a late-night talk show host suspecting she may soon lose her long-running show. This is Late Night. Who are you? I'm Molly. I'm a new writer. That's our show, everyone. I came to tell you this year is your last. What? They can't replace you if everyone loves you. Do none of you understand what is at stake here? I am being replaced. Think about why the show is bad and come up with ways to fix it. I wish I was a woman of color so I could just get me a job I want. We talked about this. You can't say that. I know what everyone thinks of me, but just because I was lucky enough to get this job doesn't mean I'm stupid enough to lose it. What exactly is wrong with my bits? You're a little old and a little white. What can I do about that? I need you, Molly. I need your pushiness and lack of boundaries. You love me. No, I didn't say that. I, no. I mean, not in those words, but you... No, I didn't say it in any of those words. Well, here you go. Now, it was, I mean, every scene, the very few scenes in Men in Black that she's in, Emma Thompson, is, is just a joy. But in this movie... Oh, man. Oh, my God. She's like a god. She's so good. She's Oscar-worthy and just fantastic in a really solid, funny movie, oh, I, yeah. I thought. Uh, it's Mindy Kaling uh, co-starring and doing her first, uh, penning her first screenplay, right. which I think is a, it's very smart Funny and assured. So I know she's done a lot of writing for some of her TV projects right, right. so far. But this is the first time she's doing a big screen feature screenplay. And nicely done. She stars as Molly, a factory worker who uh, <laughs> just loves comedy. But her only really stand-up experiences is, is cracking them up over the intercom at work. 
which isn't a lot. <laughs> but uh, Emma Thompson, who plays Catherine Newberry, who's a uh, iconic late night talk show host, she was the first woman to host a late mm-hmm. night talk show. Uh, she notices as her ratings are going down and she's got a threat to uh, lose her show that her writing staff is all male and all pale. So uh, she feels maybe there's there's some diversity needed, and that's why Mindy Kaling ends up getting the gig, even though everybody thinks she's not going to be there very long. So there you have the setup. Can this fresh-faced newbie who brings some uh, diversity, much-needed diversity to this writing staff, save her hero show? Now, you can probably figure out what's going to happen, but the, the delight is how do we get there and what ground do we touch on while we're getting there? It's true. The structure is very crowd-pleasing. It really is, but the way that it's actually the performances and the writing elevated uh, to some really fun heights. And, and as I said, Emma Thompson is just absolutely spot on amazing. And one of the things that is so great is that the, the character that she plays, she's described as just being sort of the master of casual cruelty, which is exactly what Emma Thompson excels oh, at. Perfect. Just droll cut you down <laughs> with a look and a line, but that ends up meshing just perfectly with Mindy Kaling's fresh-faced enthusiasm oh, yeah, she's, that she's just going to come in there. and her, She's so <laughs> earnest, and, you know, and she's just so, yeah, she's so all in, and, yeah. and, and it's funny because her her hero worship, which is exactly what it is, never comes across as uh, like she's a sycophant. She just truly yeah. loves and admires this woman and her genius and her comment. Exactly. Comedy. And uh, also the, the main threat to um, for uh, Catherine to lose her show comes from a network executive, uh, played by Amy Ryan, yeah. always solid, yeah. who wants to replace her with this hot, new, edgy comedian played by Ike Barinholtz, who is a, I mean, I don't know how thin the veil can get. This is thinly veiled Daniel Tosh. Yeah, his I mean, name is what Dan Tennant. Daniel, Daniel Tennant is the name of the character. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And other things that they talk about it. This, oh, yeah. this is no Daniel question. Tosh yeah. all the way. So clearly, Mindy Kaling has no love lost for uh, the comedy stylings of, Dan- of well, Daniel. Well, you Tosh. know, having come up as a as right. a stand-up comic yeah. and probably about the same age, she probably knows him pretty well. Well, that's the thing about this movie and the writing, especially even when it goes in these very convenient places, mm-hmm. and it does. It settles for some layups a few mm-hmm. times. And on one hand, that does feel crowd-pleasing. Yeah. But also, even then, I thought the entire script came from a real writing-what-you-know oh, yeah. corner. Yeah. And that's what they always you know, write what you know. She clearly knows all of this and yes. has lived a lot of it. Yes. And it really shows because it, it touches on a variety of societal issues. You've got you know diversity. You've got sexism. You've got the Me Too. You've got slut-shaming. Yeah. You know, over and over and again. And then you just have the struggle to, to make it in common. Comedy. Yeah, and but and, and, and one of the things that I thought was really great about it is, is it never ever feels preachy, not ever. It does. It just feels yeah, like this is a lived-in world. This is what it's like. You're right, the, and the shifting the shifting sands of not only the workplace but comedic relevance. Yeah, how comedy oh, has yeah. now changed, and we talk about Daniel Tosh who's suddenly disappeared, <laughs> and there's some other comics who have suddenly disappeared, and how things are different now. So you're right, it tackles all of that in a smart funny ways mm-hmm. uh, without feeling really preachy. And it was directed by Nisha Ganatra, who has done some features but a while ago. She has spent most of the last few years in TV. Right. Doing a lot of TV Transparent work. Transparent and a yeah, couple of others. She is back on the big screen now too and uh, I think has another big success along with Mindy Kaling really mm-hmm. moving back into the features. The biggest question that we had about this movie is the R rating. Yeah, so it, it gets an R rating for, as far as I can tell, three F-bombs. Potentially four. And, uh, and most of them are delivered by Emma Thompson 
gloriously. <laughs> of but the thing is, you can get away with one and still get a PG-13 rating. And since that's really the only thing, yeah. I don't know why they would limit their potential audience like that for just a couple of, of F-bombs. Right, because we just saw a few weeks ago, we saw another smart, funny comedy that really took on some relevant topics. Find no audience, almost no audience shot. whatsoever. Long shot. Really like that. But it was a solid R. Yeah. It was a firm R. Oh, yeah. Uh, this is not. No. This is just like you said. It's just because of a few F-bombs. And it seemed to me, especially because of some of the the turns in the script that seem very engineered to crowd, please, yeah. I thought, wow, then why don't you go yeah. the extra mile, delete, make a, come a few of these freakins or some other yeah. stand-in word for the F-bomb, and you could get a PG-13. I hope it doesn't cost them. Uh, a lot of eyeballs because this movie deserves the eyeballs. Oh, it does. I think it does. It's really funny and, and really smart. Really enjoyed Late Night. Next up, another sequel. It's John Schaff Jr., a cybersecurity expert with a degree from MIT, enlists his family's help to uncover the truth behind his best friend's untimely death. It's the latest Shaft. Hi, I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm looking for Shaft. Mm hmm. Who's asking? John Chef Jr., your son. My son? Jr.? Yeah. You know him. He thinks he's a black James Bond. That dude was real. He think he was me. Please tell me that you did not get our son involved in your bullshit. What is wrong with you? You picked up a bat. You can't beat up a woman. Why not? Because she's a woman. That's like... Misogynistic. You want being misogynistic? I ain't mentioned her gender. Okay. I'm an equal opportunity ass whooper. Can you dig it? Well, I think we said last week that I was uh, encouraged by the trailer. Yeah. Right? Because it seemed like they were taking a vibe that could work with right, this. Right, right. After the last sequel, which was also just called Shaft. Right. All three <laughs> films are just called Shaft. It makes it a little bit tough to differentiate which one you're talking about. Yeah, but. it was clear from the trailer that they were, they were taking a much more straight-up comedic approach yep, with this one. Yep. Um, and they, they certainly do, but unfortunately they don't go all the way. Right. And uh, the one thing about Shaft, you're going to take a, a classic movie like Shaft, which is so 1970s, all right? Yes, very. And you're going to bring that type of character and that type, those type of sensibilities into the present day. That that brings some some tricky territory with it. It does, because it, it can be done well, but then the the one I remember being so disappointed in was The Bad News Bears. So right. that's, for both of us, one of our all-time favorite films, a very 1970s very. movie. Uh, and so we were eager to see uh, what could be done with it. It was a great filmmaker who made it, Late Letter, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and it was a bad movie. But all they did was just, well, we'll just tone down those elements. Well, well, uh, well and they, they sort of supplemented it with the, so now Buttermaker uh, likes strippers. Like, you know what? That doesn't make him any more right. uh, wholesome to be around your kids. It fell flat. But then you look at a movie like uh, the the first Brady Bunch yeah, movie. Now yeah. that, they took, they said, okay, how are we going to get around that? We're going to take the family and have them live in the 90s, but still like they are in the 70s. Right, right. That was genius. Yeah. It was a genius vehicle to take the, the still have fun with the 70s mm -hmm. in the present day. Uh, so so the fact that they're using um, a new Shaft, JJ, John Shaft Jr., uh, who's kind of a kind of a preppy and he's totally different from Yeah, he's Shaft. a millennial. He is. He's a millennial and he is the uh, the son of Shaft, which I guess he's a Shaft Jr. too. Anyway, uh, Samuel L. Jackson Shaft. And so they have fun with that culture clash. And early on, Shaft gets to be his his regular, you know, sexist, homophobic self. 
and have that called out to him by right. his son. Right. So that's for a while that gave me hope for this is how they're going to deal with that. And it well, seemed... while at the same time, you could see an older generation just rolling their eyes at right. the millennial generation. And it did. It seemed like a, a, a little bit over the top, but a funny culture clash, generation yeah. clash. Yeah, I thought I was encouraged that that would be a vehicle that they could really do it effectively. But some early self-awareness as the movie goes along just turns in, to me, it turned into really self-parody. Because they get involved in this case that is ridiculous about trying to find out who's behind the death of J.J.'s best friend. And, I mean, it might as well be, you, I said Scooby-Doo, you said Chips. Yeah. I mean, that, that's what it is. The bad guys are, are nice enough to stand up in the line of fire and to, yeah, go ahead and hit me. Uh, they, they yell things like, it's that Shaft kid. He, he saw, saw everything. He saw it all. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that the clues come so, so easy. And that part of it is, is ridiculous. And, you know, if they were still having fun with that, right. then it would have worked. If yeah. they would have kept that vibe going, it, it could have worked a lot better than it did. But for me, they start off with a promising vehicle yeah. to do this, and then it just, in, in the end, it becomes, it falls back on those types of sensibilities that I thought they were going to poke fun at, which right. is, guys, just toughen up, man. Yeah. Women want a guy who just wants sex, he wants guns, and he wants to kill people. And the thing is, while toward the end, you know, I think that they were still trying to say, maybe don't be such a homophobe, maybe don't be such a misogynist, but damn, does this movie love guns. <laughs> this movie is so pro-gun violence that I was very uncomfortable. I mean, you know, you don't know how to impress your woman, shoot and kill a bunch of guys in a theater <laughs> or in a, in a restaurant, and then all of a sudden, she can't keep her hands off you. I, I was really a little surprised that uh, we were still so open to embracing gun violence. Yeah, well, especially all, all of that, since I thought they were going to deal with it in a fun, creative way yeah. uh, early on, and then they just kind of let that go. But is Samuel L. Jackson still perfect as Shaft? Oh, yes. You bet he is. Damn I mean, he, he, right. He's fantastic. And Richard Roundtree shows up again, oh, my God. making fun of the fact that they called, they, that they had uh, his relationship in the last film to be his uncle, right? Uh, which is great. Yeah. Just yeah. a real quick one-liner. Yeah. If you you know, if you didn't see the, the last one, or if you'd forgotten that. Yeah. It's just there are a lot of in-jokes. Yeah. And, and, a, and a lot of them land. And they do. And also, Regina Hall shows up as Always J.J.'s mother. Always welcome, and Regina she, Hall. She brightens every scene she's, she's in. She's so good. She's so funny. And of course, anytime they don't play the entire thing, but anytime you hear any bit of that <laughs> song, that has got to be, if that is not the all-time best movie theme song it's it's in the team picture so this makes me think that we need to uh, we need to thank omar again so because he did uh he does sometimes tweets at us these little oh, songs yeah. that he writes for us and he did one for this show but it was wolf instead <laughs> of Shaft, which was pretty funny you're damn right <laughs> thank you omar appreciate that so yeah it does you're right some of the jokes land there there are some fun elements but uh especially for me maybe because where i thought it was going, and I thought it had a vehicle in place to get there. It just doesn't follow it enough. It's director Tim Story, who, he's done some some not very good stuff. He's he Maybe the best film he's done is the original Ride Along, yeah. I think. Yeah. Uh, and, he's gonna, and he did Ride Along 2, and well, he's going to do Ride Along 3. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of times, the, the first of a series yeah. that he does is at least funny. Yeah. He also did the most recent Fantastic Four, which was just a catastrophic bomb. Yeah. And it shouldn't have been given that cast. Yeah, so this one. And then the writers are Kenya Barris and Alex Barrow, who, 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 again, I keep going back to that. I think they had something. I think they had an idea that could have worked. This is how 
we're going to deal yeah. with with the the seventy shaft moving into today's uh, today's world. But uh, didn't quite get there. Although, admittedly, there there are some fun elements to be had in the new shaft. Can you dig it? And probably the one we were most looking forward to this week, the peaceful town of Centerville finds itself battling a zombie horde as the dead start rising from their graves. Jim Jarmusch's latest, The Dead Don't Die. What the hell was it? A wild animal? This is really awful. Maybe the worst thing I've ever seen. What was it, wild animals? So what are you thinking? I'm thinking zombies. What? You know, the undead. Ghouls. Flesh-eating zombies. Don't joke. It's really, really creepy. Oh, man. This isn't going to end well. Ghouls. Ghouls. Fun ghouls. This is Jim Jarmusch. Uh, you may or may not be familiar. He's pretty much of an independent uh, god to a lot of people. Yes. Great filmmaker. We love him. Yeah. Even even in movies like The Limits of Control that we didn't particularly care for, always interested in what he's doing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, he, he ranks in my top five all-time favorite filmmakers. And, and it's interesting, too. This is, without a doubt, the most mainstream thing he's ever done. Absolutely no question about it. In fact, it's the only film he's made in 30 years that is getting a national release. Yeah, and it's just the cast, as they say in the movie poster, it's the greatest cast ever disassembled. I mean, Bill Murray, Adam Driver are the two cops. Then you've got Chloe Sevigny, who's the, another cop on the on the scene, and Tom Waits and Steve Buscemi and Danny Glover. Tilda and, uh, Swinton, Tilda Iggy Swinton, Pop, Selena Gomez. Kane, Selena Gomez, so RZA, many. RZA, Steve Buscemi. It's crazy. how Danny Glover. It's insane how many people are in this movie. Speaking of, of in-jokes, uh, the fact that Riz is in there and he works for, he doesn't work for UPS, he works for WooPS. Uh, which, if you're not paying attention, <laughs> but what's also great is what he tells, what he know, tells uh, Caleb Landry Jones, right. another great, he's like, pay attention to every detail. Uh, yeah. That's his advice, which is good advice, because uh, you might have missed that it was WooPS. Because Wu-Tang is for the children, but... <laughs> Yeah, it's this whole great ensemble, and it's a, a riff on zombie movies. It's a riff on pop culture. It's it's so fun, and it's one, boy, in the crowd that we saw it with, I mean, it was one of the most instantly quotable movies I can oh, remember yeah. in a long time. Right away, people are just going off on all their favorite oh, quotes. Absolutely. Um, and and it's, it's, it's just so much fun, especially if you like horror movies, zombie movies, are familiar with them. I thought I caught... Some of the homages, yeah. but boy, in looking at the thank yous and the credits, the uh, I missed a lot. Uh, that is another thing is that it's it's really a movie that is going to be fun to watch again and again and again because it's just fun. And I think that it would be easy to feel invited to deconstruct it, uh, especially if you're not particularly familiar with the work of of Jim Jarmusch. You might think. He's saying this and he's doing that, but uh, yeah. from I, I mean, we've seen everything he's ever done. That's not really the way he structures films, as far as I can tell. He yeah. doesn't really make statements and layer in specific ideas. It's He's got sort of his own imaginative world, and he's running with it. And for me, this movie just seemed like they were having fun. Yeah, I agree. And it's also, admittedly, even though it is his most, his biggest mainstream release, national release, it's still niche and it's still something oh, that, very. you know, you, if you're not into it, if you don't really get it, uh, then... You're not going to like it, obviously. It's one, in, in that way, it kind of reminds me of um, Napoleon Dynamite in a way that. I it, can see that. If you are not into Napoleon Dynamite in the first five minutes, you, you've got to turn it off That's because right. it will. <laughs> it, yeah. 
if you're not in that headspace, and it's the same way here because this one takes such a slow, deadpan tone that if it and it never breaks from it, maybe undeadpan. Yeah, and it's funny because you would expect a zombie movie or a horror movie to at some point it's building tension Mm -hmm. and it's and it's built. It doesn't. But it It doesn't. doesn't. It just it meanders. It moseys. It's on a mosey the entire way through. Bill Murray is so amazing in this movie. Bill Murray has chemistry with every person, such chemistry with every person on screen, including, as I say in the written review, Carol Kane, who is dead the entire film. (laughs) Still, Bill Murray is just the sweet tenderness about this character. He is so great. And Adam Driver. Adam Driver. What a hoot. One of the the many fun things this uh, movie does is most of the time you're in zombie lore, you're used to them slowly dragging their feet across the concrete and yelling, brains. Right. Well, this time, what they utter, what they're after, is whatever they were into in real life. Right. Like Carol Kane's uh, case, Chardonnay. Chardonnay. So, and it, somebody wants <laughs> Wi-Fi. <laughs> <laughs> so, Iggy Pop wants coffee. Coffee, exactly. So you can tell, we, we had a ball with it, and we really, really enjoyed it. So, But again, it, it, it settles into a niche that is not going to please everybody, but I think it's it, give it a chance and it could please a lot of people. We really like the dead don't die. And one more to talk about in limited release this week. It's a documentary about Halston, who reigned over fashion in the 1970s and became a household name. But everything changed in the Wall Street era with his empire under threat. Halston took the biggest gamble of his life. It's Halston. Pictures meant everything to Halston. Life is like a picture, he used to say. I'm Halston. My name is Halston. The most successful single individual in the history of American fashion. Ladies and gentlemen, Halston. Suddenly he was cast adrift. I said, you don't own your name, pal. We own your name. It was his company, his workers, everything he was fighting for. Success fun. Oh, sure, it's fun and it's not fun. And as my mother says, it's the price you have to pay. This one was directed by Frederick Chang, who obviously has a big interest in fashion. Yes, I would say. Yeah, he directed a documentary that I loved called Diana Vreeland, The Eye Has to Travel. And then he directed uh, Dior Dior and and I I. as well. And, you know, I'm not a big fashion fan. But I found, I I love that (laughs) Diana Vreeland. It's all about the... The personalities and how you get us close to these lives. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and this one, although it it makes a funny choice, he makes a funny choice in this one. There's lots of great interviews with Halston, with friends. There's some tremendous archival footage to take you through his uh, really pretty incredible rise from a poor Iowa farm boy to the uh, global fashion icon that he became. But he, he Cheng frames the entire story with this fictional narrator who is kind of doing detective work and kind of leading us along and she's at the beginning she's at the end and she pops up intermittently throughout and i i just didn't think that worked at all Mm. it was really curious like especially if seeing his his two other uh, documentaries that didn't do that right he's like okay i don't really understand what you thought this brought to the uh, to the story and how it was more effective in telling the story. But other than that, I thought it was very effective, um, whether you're a, a fan or not. And I, I certainly uh, remember him big time from the '70s, hearing the hearing the name and seeing him because he was very very social and very involved in uh, trying to get his his name, his face, his brand out there. And always, as the movie points out, always cognizant that uh, to him life was a picture and everything had to look just so. 
And uh, so he was always out there in the public eye and all the talk shows and everything else and the awards shows. So I did find it fascinating to learn more about him. And other than that strange framing device, I thought it was a really solid documentary. So if you're if you're interested and enjoy that sort of stuff. And so far, we talked about, we've already mentioned about having to put together our uh, our best of the half year list in 2019. Mm-hmm. This has been the year, the, the half year of the documentary. Oh, you're not kidding, for man. Me. And all this, although this is not one of the very best, it's certainly solid. Documentary on Halston. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Got a big one coming out uh, out of the lobby this week into home entertainment. It's Captain Marvel out on DVD. We liked it very much. Oh, we surely did. Uh, You know, I liked this movie so much, and I thought that Brie Larson was amazing, uh, and I loved the cat because, of course, I did. And I loved I loved Sam Jackson in this. And as you brought up when we talked about it the first time, I love that it's not just the origin story of Captain Marvel. It's the origin story of S.H.I.E.L.D., which I thought was really well handled and interesting. Yeah, and uh, a couple directors that we really like, Anna Bowden and Ryan Fleck. Oh, love I, everything they do. I like the perspective they brought to this movie uh, very much so. And um, I really think that, I think you agree, it's girl power is... Is right on, yes. and um, it it really feels even more true and organic um, than I think any other uh, Marvel movie. I agree with you because it's not showy about it. It doesn't all of a sudden have five or six women together sashaying toward the camera. <laughs> you know, uh, there's no there is no love story. There's no love story in the background. There's none in the future. There's none in the present, and it doesn't address that because there doesn't need to be. And the other thing I love about this character. She is pissed off. She's mm-hmm. kind of a dick. Mm-hmm. She doesn't care if you like her or not. And I think that that is incredibly uncommon with a female in any film, but right. certainly the female lead. And, and and even though, you're right, and even though we did enjoy Wonder Woman, we thought it really careened downward in the third act. Yes. And this one does not. No, no. Yeah, I think structurally this film works. I think the climax is very fascinating. And it's funny because when we first saw it, the very first act, we were like, oh, God, this is a little bit too Star Trek for me. But they do it on purpose, and yep. they deliver the goods. And yep. it's it's just fun. It's a yep. fun ride. Agreed. Also, Captive State comes out this week on home video. And this, I think, was a, you know, a, a near miss. It was a, it was an interesting sci-fi political thriller. John Goodman is great. I wouldn't say that it is outstanding, but it's it's worth checking out. And we, uh, the latest YA drama, romantic drama, is out on video this week, Five Feet Apart. The main thing this movie has going for it is Haley Lou Richardson. She's always good. She is a very, very fine young actress. If you don't know her name, you probably know her face. And she's paired up with, actually, Cole Sprouse, who, if you remember the movie um, Big Daddy from back in the day with yeah, Adam, Sandler, Adam Sandler, he was the little boy <laughs> uh, who wanted to be called Frankenstein. So it... it <laughs> You know, it, it checks off all the YA boxes, so that makes it pretty forgettable. But Haley Lou saves it from being a complete dumpster fire, and she is definitely one to uh, keep an eye on in the future. So she's already done some great work. Oh, she has, but, yeah. But um, hopefully she'll get uh, even more here in the future. Next week is a big week for us. Oh, my God. Can't wait. Can't wait. Bought my shirt. I got my I got my Sheriff Woody <laughs> shirt. I'm wearing to the premiere. Toy Story 4 oh my comes God, I'm out so next excited. week up against Child's Play, the latest Child's Play, Chucky. And uh, also a new one I'm not really that familiar with called Anna. The new Luke Besson. She's a killer okay. movie. So we may have seen that before. Yes. Uh, we'll deal with those next week. In the meantime, let us know what you about, thought about any of these uh, this week. If you love the men in black, all right, we're ready to uh, debate with you. Let us know. You can always find us on Twitter. That's the easiest way. 
Keep the conversation going. We're Mad Wolf on Twitter, M-A-D-D-W-O-L-F. Also on Facebook and Instagram, it's Mad Wolf Columbus. And you can always find our written reviews and other fun stuff like our Fright Club horror movie podcast on our main website, which is madwolf.com. So we always appreciate you stopping by the screening room. And no matter where it is that you're listening to this podcast, if you would take a second to subscribe, rate, and review, we would so appreciate it. Very much so. So until next week, she is Hope Mad. He's George Wolf. And this is the Screening Room Podcast. See ya. I do wish we could chat longer, but I'm having an old friend for dinner. Bye.